Well, to start this morning, I want to share with you something that most people don't know about me. And uh, I haven't told a lot of people, but that'll change today. Um, and that's about a particular phase that I went through when I was in early high school. Uh, you could call my freshman and sophomore years of high school the cowboy years. <laughs> the cowboy years. And it began when I was probably 13 or 14. I kind of started listening to some country music. I had some guys on my baseball team that liked country music. And, and I kind of got into country music. And so some of you were like, I already don't like you. Um, <laughs> some of you were like, oh, I love you. And so, I, but I, I got into country music. And, and I began to like country music. But that kind of went somewhere that it doesn't always take a lot of people. And that was me kind of taking on a cowboy identity where I bought the tight Wrangler jeans and the Stetson hat and the you know, Garth Brooks style flame shirts and uh, the big belt buckle and the whole deal. And I would wear this in public. Uh, <laughs> In, at school. Now, some of you, like, if you're, like, it, from Queen Creek, like, well, that's normal because this is, like, kind of what Queen Creek's like. Well, this was suburban Denver, okay? So I had not ever ridden a horse. I think I knew what a horse was, but I was not in any way a cowboy, but I had the whole identity. I took on this, this cowboy identity, and I would wear this to school. In the time of life when you're trying to be popular, this is what I did. I wore this to school. And, but, but that new identity of kind of cowboy Luke also meant some new things that I had to do. I had to, you know, not just like country music, but I had to like country line dancing. So there's this great place in Denver called the Grizzly Rose. And so me and certain friends would go there and we would do line dancing and two-stepping and we would do, do all this. I would go to the stock show. There's a stock show and rodeo every year in Denver, and I would go to that and watch it, and I didn't know what they were doing, but I was like, yeehaw, and, and it changed the way I talked, right? I, I, even to this day, I, I say y'all, and a lot of that is kind of because I started every now and then talking like that. See, a new identity demanded a new kind of living. I took on this country cowboy identity and if you're going to have that identity, you've got to live a certain new way. And actually, that's the point that Paul is kicking off here in the beginning of chapter 4, is that a new identity demands new living. That's the big idea today. A new identity demands new living. In the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul who, by the way, his identity before he came to know Christ was he was a Pharisee, somebody who hated Christianity, hated Jesus, and actually put people to death in the name of faithful Judaism. Then he has an encounter with Jesus where Jesus changes his life, forgives his sin, and gives him a new identity. And that new identity in Paul demanded a new kind of living. And so Paul began to travel the Mediterranean and what is now mostly modern-day Turkey and Greece and travel around and start these new Christian communities. He would plant these new churches, and he would then encourage them. And that's actually what the book of Ephesians is, is he had planted a church in Ephesus, and now a number of years later, he's writing a letter to that church that he'd helped start, and he's encouraging them. And in chapters 1 through 3, what Paul is doing is he's telling them, here's the new identity you have. And in chapters four through six, what he's doing is he's saying, now here's the new life that that new identity demands. 
And so this passage today here is really kind of the beginning of a, of a new section. Uh, I, I think it's too simplistic to say that the first part is doctrine and the second part is application because as you're gonna see, Paul is always weaving those things back and forth together. But the first part really is about the new identity we have in Christ and the second part really is about the new living that we're to have in Christ. So that's where we're headed. New identity demands new living. So what I want to do today is I want to just kind of walk through verses 1 to 6, and I want to show you how this kind of sets the trajectory a little bit for where this whole uh, rest of the letter is headed. The two kind of new living things that Paul's going to emphasize uh, throughout this, the rest of this book is that the new identity of Christ leads to a new kind of unity, and it leads to a new kind of holiness, and both of those you're going to see in this particular passage. So we're just going to kind of walk through it and, and try to connect the dots of how a new identity demands new living. Are you a Christian? You're a follower of Jesus. You said, I, I want to orient my life around him. I, I'm in Christ. All those songs with all those blessings that we just sang, yeah, those are mine. Okay, if you're saying this is my identity, that demands new living. That's what we're going to look at here. Let's pray before we dive in. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you use it to shape us and to form us and to challenge us to live new lives. God, not new living in order to get a new identity, but that by grace, by your sheer love for us, you've given us a new identity and now you've invited us to live in a way that connects to that. God, we pray that you'd use this word to encourage us, to help us to walk in a way that is more faithful to you. We pray it in Christ's name, amen. Amen. So Paul has just wrapped up his prayer at the end of Ephesians 3, and he begins Ephesians 4 this way. If you have your Bible, look at it with me. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now, we've talked about this through in this letter and other places in the scripture, that when the scriptures say, therefore, there's a question you always have to ask when you're reading, which is, what is the therefore? Therefore. What's he referring to? The, a therefore is always referring back to something. Well, what's he referring to? Well, he's referring to quite a lot. In chapter one, he's referring to the fact that in, in Ephesians chapter one, verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Therefore, live a new way because you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. At the end of chapter one, he prayed that they would have open eyes and open hearts to see the beauty of Jesus. Therefore, here's this new way to live. In chapter two, we saw how God moves us by grace from death to life. Therefore, live a new way. Chapter two, we also said that we are now one new man. There's not an ultimate identity that comes from our background or our race or our ethnicity or our social status. Our dominant identity is that we are in Christ, that we are one new man, one new people. And this new people, Paul said, is the, the new temple, the new place where God would dwell. And in light of that new identity, here's a new way to live. He prayed in the passage we looked at just last week for a new kind of power and love and presence of God that would be this God who, verse 20 of chapter three, is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask 
or think. In light of that, therefore, in light of the blessing, in light of the death to life, in light of the new man, in light of the presence of God, in light of the God who can do far more than you ask or think, therefore, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, you see again, Paul says, the Lord has led me here. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Notice what Paul says. He says, I want you to walk. Maybe you've heard people talk about their Christian walk. If you've been around church, you kind of go, well, how, someone might even occasionally say to you, how's your walk going? Right? If you're new to church, you're like, I think I walk normal. I don't, what do you mean my walk? What they're talking about is your life, your way of living, your conduct. And Christians talk about your walk. We want our walk to match our talk. And that walk language comes from here. But have you ever thought about walking? Walking. It's not that Paul says, I want you to sprint. I want you to walk. Think about walking. Walking is actually harder than you think. You ever had kids? <laughs> They'll just come out walking. Right? They, they, it takes a long time. It takes longer than you'd think. And, and all of us are in various stages of walking, right? I think about, you know, my little guy, Hank, who, you know, he's now at the point where he's running and he walks really comfortably. But occasionally, if he gets on some terrain that's kind of new, he'll stumble and he'll fall. And it's interesting that when a kid just begins to walk, right, and they take those first few steps, they, they kind of get up. They're wobbling. And they do that, and then they fall. Nobody goes... Come on, Alice, walk already. <laughs> How can you just trip after two steps? No, what do, what do we do? We go, yay, wow. Has that ever occurred to you, especially those of you who are newer in the faith and you feel like, gosh, I'm just getting my butt kicked. I, I, I don't feel like I'm very faithful. I don't feel like I'm very obedient. I feel like I'm struggling here. Has it ever occurred to you that maybe you're just taking the first few steps of your Christian faith? And rather than God having a desire to scold you for it, he might actually be cheering for you. Because walking's harder than you think. But in a sense, walking is just this slow, steady plodding. Right? People ask me, do, do you run? And I say, no, I don't run, I plod. You know, I'm not much of a runner, but I am an occasional plodder. You know, I like to plod. And it's funny, because every time I'm out for a run, especially if I run kind of early in the morning when it's dark, um, I always think of Josh Watt. Josh Watt's our next-gen pastor. And a number of years ago, he was training for either a half marathon or a marathon. And while he was out, he stepped funny off a sidewalk and he broke his ankle. And so every time when I'm out plodding, I, I, I think about that every time. And I think, I don't want to be an idiot like Josh and break my <laughs> ankle stepping off the curb, right? So I'm very careful about how I'm, it's just steady, plotting. This is what the Christian life is. Some of you have been told by people who say you ought to be much more radical or much more whatever, that the, the Christian life's more like a sprint and you got to always be going and it's always, no, 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 no. It's a walk and walking's harder than you think, but it calls for just steady, continual plodding. Well, what's the steady, continual plotting? In light of this new identity, Paul doesn't say, hey, everything's gotta be a sprint from here on. He says, no, 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 I urge you to walk, how? In a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. The word worthy there means suitably, 
suited to, in a way that fits with, right? The new identity demands a new living in a way that fits with this. If you're going to take on the cowboy shtick, Luke, you got to go to the grizzly rose. That's, that's worthy of that. That's suitable for that in a way that fits this. And he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. This word call actually shows up four times in these six verses. I don't know if you noticed that when we read it. In verse one, the calling to which you have been called. And then he says in verse four, there's one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. So call shows up four times here. And what's the idea of calling? It's the idea throughout the scripture of God's initiating an unmerited grace. That's what we've seen even in the book of Ephesians, that God has initiated relationship with us, that God is moving toward us, that God is is coming toward us, moving us from death to life. One author calls the church, I love this image, a society of pardoned rebels. We're a society of pardoned rebels. And so, on one hand, how could we ever have any pride about our call? Like the only thing we brought to the table was sin, disobedience, rebellion. We're a society of pardoned rebels. And yet, on the other hand, there is this kind of dignity that God has now given us, where we're united to him and we're alive in him and and we're supposed to live in a certain way. There's a way that the world is watching to see what is this grace of God really like? Makes me think of my college baseball coach. Itch Jones was his name at University of Illinois. Itch Jones broke his arm when he was nine years old and scratched his cast so that for his whole life, he was a 63-year-old man when I played for him and they called him Itch. It's an odd thing. But he had a high squeaky voice and the thing he would always say is he would say, listen guys, you got a gosh darn X on your forehead. You're a baseball player, you're an athlete, you got a gosh darn X on your forehead. If you go down to the bars and you get in a fight with somebody, whose name's gonna be in the paper? Your name, because you got a gosh darn X on your forehead. (laughs) That's a little bit of what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, you got a gosh darn X on your forehead. You've been called. Not because you're so worthy, not because you have your act together, but by God's grace, he has placed you in this new relationship. And now I'm urging you, in light of this new identity you have, this demands that you live in a new way, that you walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now get this, this is so key. The calling comes first, then the walking. Sometimes people think that the message of Christianity is walk more obediently, walk more faithfully, walk more the way that your mama told you and the Bible says you should, and then you'll be called into God's grace and love. That's not the gospel. That's not the message of scripture. The message of scripture is that you are called decisively by the grace of God. And in light of that, now walk. Do you get that? If you don't get that distinction, you will mess up the rest of our series in the book of Ephesians. Because you will think that somehow everything we're going to talk about is the way that you make God more in love with you. No. He's in love with you. He's proven it. He's shown it. He's given you his son. He's, he's able to do far more abundantly than what you'd ask or what you'd think. So in light of that, you've got a gosh darn X on your forehead. New identity, new identity demands new living. So what is this new kind of living? Well, Paul is going to talk about four specific ways that this new walk is going to look. This is what he's going to lay out in these next few verses. The first part is in verse 2. 
worthy of the calling to which you've been called, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness. With all humility and gentleness. Nothing is more ridiculous and destructive than pride or arrogance in a Christian. Nothing's more ridiculous because of what we just said. You you didn't get into this relationship with God because you were so impressive, but actually the opposite. And so pride in a Christian is like, what? That's ridiculous. And nothing is more destructive, more destructive to your relationships, more destructive to your relationship with God, more destructive to your own sanity than pride. Arrogance, thinking you're something that you're not. The scripture even goes so far as to say, get this, in 1 Peter 5, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do you want to be in a position where God is actively opposing you? No. Nothing's more destructive or ridiculous than pride or arrogance, which is why Paul says a new identity demands new living characterized by humility and gentleness. This is a theme throughout the entire scripture. I love this passage in Isaiah chapter 66. Incredible image in Isaiah 66. Here's what it says. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. You know what he's saying in that first verse? (laughs) I'm so big I'm so self-sufficient, I'm so powerful. You know, when I lean back, I put my feet up on the earth. I don't need this. What's the, what's the house you're gonna build for me? Oh, oh, I'm the one who spoke everything into existence and you're gonna do something that I need? Yeah, right, that's what God's saying. But then look at the next phrase. But this is the one to whom I'll look, get this. Isaiah here is recording the words of God. God's saying, listen, I don't need you. I'm God with or without you. Right? Another thing my baseball coach would say, we had baseball before you were here. Well, baseball when you leave, you're not that big a deal. <laughs> That's sort of what God's saying. The world was here before you. The world will be after you. You're not that big a deal. But, 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 but. But there are some people that get my attention. There are some people that I notice. There are some people that I look to. Who? Well, look at what it says. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The one that gets God's attention, the one that God looks toward is the one who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at his word. The idea of saying, I I realize that it's not about me, it's not about my pride, it's not about my arrogance. God, this is about you. So the worthy life of the calling, the, the new living that comes from the new identity is first humility and gentleness. But look at what it says next in middle of verse two. With patience, with patience. This is an interesting compound word in the Greek where you have two words put together and the two words that get put together in this particular Greek word, the first word is anger. The second word is long time. That's patience. Anger, long time. It takes a long time to get angry. That's what he's saying. If you want to live a a new life that connects with the new identity you have, it's a life of patience where it takes you a long time to get angry. The things that make everyone else irritable and everyone else 
short-tempered and short-fused. No, 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 you, you're patient. Why, why would you be patient? Because you realize I'm not in charge of this thing. I don't have control. I don't deserve everything I want right now, so I'm gonna be patient. Let me ask you, are you more patient than my 20-month-old? I hope so. He gets up every day, Hank gets up every day, and the first thing he, he goes, uh, 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 uh. he wants to eat, right? We've taught him a little bit of sign language, enough to make this really irritating. And so, uh, 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 and then it's, uh, 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 he wants a banana. Uh, 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 milk, uh, right? And, and like, until you give it to him, it's just, uh, 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 right? It's like he has, every day he wakes up with amnesia and does not remember that every day he's been given these things, right? It's, it's maybe actually a picture of how we should relate to God. Like, God, give me this day my daily bread. Really? Like, I'm not kidding. But I, but I watch him and, and, and here's what we do. And I say, now I say, Hank, what do we need to be? And he goes, because normally what I say is patient. So now he gives me the finger back. <laughs> And then he starts doing it again. <laughs> right? Listen, a life shaped by a new identity in Christ demands a new kind of patience where we don't just say, okay, God, I get it, but we, we're willing to wait. We're willing to wait on people and their struggles and their problems and their challenges. And that actually leads to the next thing that Paul says, which is in verse uh, two as well. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love. One translation I read literally translates this, putting up with one another in love. Some of you are like, amen. Don't elbow the person next to you. (laughs) Putting up with one another. New identity demands new living. It means being willing to put up with one another, to bear with one another, to have endurance with one another, to be patient with one another with all humility and gentleness. Think about that. I, I, what I, here's what I love about this. Paul is so realistic. Right? You can't go, well, Paul, your head's in the clouds. I mean, humility and gentleness and blah, blah, blah. No, Paul gets it. Life is hard because you live it with people. And they're irritating. And they're annoying. And they do things that you keep being bothered by. And so, bear with them. And then pray that they'll bear with you. Bear with them. And bear with them, what does he say? In love. In love. Because of the way you've been loved, because of how God has borne with you, been patient with you, put up with you, bear with them in the same way. Many of you know my favorite definition of the word love comes from Paul Tripp. Here's how he describes it. Love is is the willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not demand payback or that the person is deserving. Love is the willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not demand payback or that the person is deserving. I love this. Love is the willing self-sacrifice. You decide, I want to do this. Why? Because I have a new identity that demands new living. So I'm not just gonna stumble into this. I'm gonna will myself to self-sacrifice. One of the ways I'm gonna self-sacrifice is by bearing with, putting up with the stuff that drives me nuts. And I'm gonna bear the pain of that rather than inflicting pain on the other person with my impatient anger. 
So it's the willing self-sacrifice for the good of one another. I'm gonna do this for their good and I'm not gonna do it to demand payback. I'm not gonna do it as a quid pro quo. I'm not gonna do it as a, well, I did this for you. Now you have to do this for me. No, I'm gonna do it just because God's done it for me. And I'm not gonna do it because they're deserving, because they're not. That's love. Bear with one another in love, the willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not demand payback or that the person's deserving. That can only come from a new identity but a new identity demands that kind of life. Here's the fourth thing. So we had humility and gentleness. We had patience. We had bearing with one another in love. Number four, the fourth way we walk in a way that's worthy of our calling is in verse three. Eager to maintain the unity of the faith or unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of of the Spirit. Isn't it interesting there? Paul does not say eager to create unity, but rather eager to maintain it. Because what he's already said is in Christ you have unity. In Christ you are one body. In Christ you are one new man. There's no longer Jew or Gentile as your dominant identity. No, your new identity is Jesus. You are in him, you are united. So the work is not to create this unity, but rather to maintain it. How do you do that? Well, you do it by realizing, especially, because here he's talking about in the body of Christ in particular, right? And he's going to say the basis of our unity is our faith and it's our understanding of who God is. So, so here in this particular part, he's talking about how we relate to one another in the church, right? I think you could say that out of the calling we've had, we're supposed to be hum humble and gentle with everybody, patient with everybody, bearing with one another in love. That's probably with everybody, church and not church. But here specifically, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, that's in the body of Christ, that's in the family. And so how do you do that? Well, you do it by realizing we're friends, not rivals. That's what I tell my 11 and nine-year-old daughter almost every day. You are friends, not rivals. You're friends, not rivals. Why are you competing with each other? You're friends, not rivals. But this is what we do because we forget our identity in Christ, and the identity that we have outside of Christ is I'm the most important, so I'm not humble and gentle. I deserve what I want right now, so I'm not patient. If someone else bugs me, well, I can just dismiss them. And who cares about unity? I'm in it for me. That's not the way of Christ. We're friends, not rivals. And look at this word, eager to maintain unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. This word means spare no effort. Make every effort, if at all possible. This is not like saying, well, I guess I'd like unity. This is saying, no, I will do whatever it takes. Paul says a similar thing in Romans 12. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. Eager, desiring, sparing no effort, doing whatever it takes to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Well, why? why? Why is this unity so important? Why does it matter so much to Paul? Why should we care so much about being united with one another in the church? Why does this matter? Well, Paul explains it in verse four. Here's why. Because our unity is based on God's unity. Verse four, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all who is, of all who is over all and through all 
and in all. How do we have unity? Paul lists seven things. We have unity because we're part of one body, we have one spirit, we have one hope, we have one Lord, we have one faith, we have one baptism, we have one God and Father. God is one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The God you pray to in Christ and the God I pray to in Christ, same God. We're connected to that God because of this one faith, this one hope. It's not that you get connected to God through some other way and I get connected through whatever way and just, you know, all roads lead to God. No, 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 there's one faith, one hope in him, one hope that he'll return. We have the symbol of this new relationship with God with one baptism, we all get baptized. That's the one symbol that commemorates our entrance into the family. And therefore we're part of one body. We're one in Christ, we're united because God's united. Listen, new identity demands new living. Humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love, eager, zealous, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So let me ask you, those of you that would say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, I have the Jesus identity and I wear it to school. What do you need to address? If new identity demands new living, what do you need to address? Is it gentleness and humility? Is it patience? Is it bearing with one another in love? Is it maybe you're just not that eager or interested in unity? Which is it? Maybe it's all of the above. (laughs) And you go, okay, okay then just remember this is a walk, one step at a time, one way to obey Christ after another. Get this, not to earn God's love, not to get called by God through your obedience. No, no, no. You have trust in Christ, one faith, and therefore you're connected to one Lord. In light of that, new identity demands new living. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the grace of calling us by your spirit into relationship with you through Christ. God, we come to you now in Christ's name, uh, thankful that we do not have to earn our way to your favor, but God, also mindful that we now have a big responsibility as your people to walk in a manner worthy of how you've called us in a way that is suitable, that fits with the new identity you've given us. And so God, I pray that we would pursue humility, gentleness, patience, love, unity. Because you've been humble and gentle with us. You've been patient with us. You've put up with us in love. And you've brought us into this unity that you have. So God, thank you. Give us faith and give us hope as we seek to obey you. We pray in Christ's name, amen.